Hey everybody, Michael Cohen here, welcoming you back to another episode of Cohen's Corner. Thank you very much for tuning in to today's show. As always, you can find episodes of this podcast available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere else you listen to shows. If you happen to be listening on an Apple device, we encourage you to leave a star rating, preferably five stars if you like the show, and maybe a comment if you have some thoughts on past episodes or what you might like to hear on future episodes down the road. As I've mentioned before, I check and read all the feedback myself, and I want to appreciate those of you who have sent in some comments in recent weeks. Nick5901, AZ in Denver, and Reed I 66 You guys submitted some awesome feedback in the last week or two, and it would be great to hear from some more of you as we continue on with future episodes. I really appreciate all of the support. Uh, those of you who have followed my career closely know that it's been a, a difficult last year for me, trying to find out where I'm going to be next and, and you know what the right opportunity will be for me moving forward. But in the meantime, as I continue to do this podcast, it means a lot to hear some positive messages from all of you guys that you're enjoying the show that you respect my work and that you like the product that I'm putting out. So again, I want to say thank you to everybody who has reached out so far and feel free to reach out in the future if anybody has anything they want to share or any thoughts they want to communicate about me, my work, or the program in general. Today's guest is Wes Hodkowitz, a digital reporter for the Green Bay Packers. Wes and I got to know each other, obviously, during my time in Green Bay. When I first arrived in Wisconsin, Wes was working for the Green Bay Press-Gazette as a beat reporter covering the Packers. He was there alongside Pete Doherty and Ryan Wood. He had also worked alongside Rob Domofsky previously before Rob went over to ESPN.com. After a few years there, Wes transitioned to the Packers organization itself, now working as a digital reporter writing stories, doing podcasts, doing videos with Larry McCarron, Mike Spofford, uh, John Kuhn, all these other guys that they have at the organization. Wes is really a jack-of-all-trades whose ability to kind of work within multiple different mediums is is really, really impressive. And so the reason I wanted to have Wes on the show today is twofold. One, he's one of my closest friends, and so it's always fun to just have one of these podcasts and kind of shoot the breeze with one of your buddies. But more importantly, you know, he has the opportunity every day to be in Lambeau Field during a season when pretty much nobody other than the players and coaches are allowed inside Lambeau Field. And so even though the NFL doesn't have an actual bubble the way that the NBA does in Orlando, uh, he's kind of within the Lambeau Field bubble, if you will, which is sort of the strict perimeter that the Packers have created, only allowing certain people in, requiring testing all the time, you know, wearing certain bracelets and things to identify who's been near who if contract contact tracing is necessary. So. Wes provided some really cool insight into what it's like to actually be inside Lambeau Field right now at a time when, like I said, the normal beat reporters aren't able to provide those insights the way that they would during a typical COVID-free season. So we talked about all kinds of things from how COVID influenced training camp to how COVID influenced the development of Jordan Love, uh, all different types of football topics previewing this upcoming Packers season, and just had a really great time as uh, two buddies, you know, sort of shooting the breeze, if you will, and just... uh, talking some smack for about an hour here, making fun of each other at every turn. So I think you guys will enjoy this. It was a lot of fun for me. Hopefully brought out a little bit of our personalities that you might not always see on Twitter or through videos and and other written work that we do. So without further ado, let's get into a conversation with Wes Hodkowitz. 
Well, Wes, thank you very much for taking some time to join me. You and I are recording this on a Friday evening, but by the time people listen to it, it'll be Monday, and week one, or just about the entirety of week one, will be in the books, except for the Monday night game. Um, it's nice to have football back. It was it was kind of fun watching that on television last night. Also a little weird, which we'll get to later, but what do you think, man? Are you just as excited as you would be in a normal season, or is it still kind of strange to think that games are going to be played here in about 48 hours? Well, it's definitely both, Michael. Uh, it uh, The fact that we do have football back is incredibly exciting. Uh, the fact that it has been six months to get to this point, uh, the fact that there was no preseason, the fact that the Packers had a 15-day training camp or whatever it ended up amounting to be, or 15 practices in 17 days or what have you, uh, all of that is very bizarre. And, you know, this is my ninth year now, which is, weird i'm becoming an old person uh but it was my ninth year covering an nfl beat and you know the zoom calls all those things it's such an abrupt shift from what i think you and you know all of us are so accustomed to covering an nfl team but the fact that there's finally a football game to, to put all this stuff towards and it's not just you know coming up with stories and narratives and all these things we actually have something tangible to grab onto uh, I definitely welcome it for sure. <laughs> so if, if you go back, I guess it's six months from now, like you said, if you go back to March, in middle of March when everything kind of shuts down, um, if somebody had said to you at that point that, yes, the NFL season would happen, no, it would not be happening in a bubble, and yes, certain teams would have fans in the stands, albeit in a reduced capacity, would you have believed that that was possible back in March? Because I, I kind of thought that we would get to maybe late August and the yeah. cases would be so out of control within NFL training camps that they would have to postpone. And clearly I was very, very wrong, and I'm glad to have been wrong about that, but I did not think we would get to this point. No, I agree with you. Uh, and I, to be honest with you, I, this whole process I had a lot of bated breath because I was home. I worked up in my bonus room above my garage for five months. I covered the draft up here. I covered the virtual off-season program. Uh, I, I did everything. I covered free agency up here. Yeah. And... Like the fact that when I went back to Lambo, I, I didn't go back by the way. Like it wasn't like, Oh, I dropped by to pick something up. No, man. When I left, when, when we did our trip to Vegas, um, which we may or may not talk about on this podcast, uh, <laughs> when, when we made that trip, uh, I never went back to Lambo field. Yeah. I think I left on March 3rd or March 5th or whatever it was. And I never went back. The, the old licorice that I had from fleet farm was stale uh, when I went back, it was like going back in time, like swift, like changing the calendar from like February to August or July, whatever it was. Um, so when I was going through that process and I remember going back and stepping back into Lambo the first time, like it was somewhat nerve wracking as someone like myself and the way that my wife, we've done this thing. We've been, we've been very conservative people. So it was jarring, but then you got into it for two weeks and I wrote about this in our insider inbox column. The fact that we had 2,500 players from all different walks of life uh, get tested. And obviously there were COVID tests when guys came back in, but the fact that those guys were so disciplined that we actually got through an entire training camp. We'll see what happens here with the season, but they got through the whole training camp and there was no big outbreak. Nobody had to get shut down. Yeah. That was a minor upset in, in my mind, but once, you know, once I got back into the, the swing of things for two, three weeks and we started covering training camp practices, other than the fact that I'm wearing a mask and 
we're doing these things on Zoom and I'm being tested every day and there's temperature checks and all this stuff, it did feel relatively normal. Um, but the fact that we got this far, especially after the horror stories with Major League Baseball in that first week, uh, it's it's a testament to everybody involved that I'm able to cover a game on you know on Sunday uh, or past Sunday when when this runs. Uh, and the fact that we there was a there was an NFL opener with seventeen thousand people there, it looked it kind of looked weird to me. I actually looked like there was a lot of people, but uh, all that stuff. I when you asked that question, no, I don't I don't think I could have ever foreseen that, especially in the dark days there in April. So I always thought that if the NFL was going to succeed, that they would have to go to a bubble environment. And and who knows what's going to happen when these athletes start traveling, like you said, to games across the country yeah. and actually breathing into other people's faces over the course of a game. Maybe, maybe things do, you know, percolate in the wrong direction. But as of right now, the non-bubble environment is succeeding. And, and I always thought that that was not going to work. And, and I thought that the NFL's decision to sort of, avoid a bubble I always thought it was built on this kind of pride that they were going to find a way to get fans in the stadium even in a reduced capacity and that they were kind of clinging to that idea so strongly that you know I thought it was going to sink the ship and obviously so far it hasn't but I will say despite how excited I was to watch that Chiefs-Texans game on Thursday. I was texting with a a former coach who's retired now, but he was a defensive coordinator in the league for a while. And I said, you know, it's cool to see these fans in the stands. I'm sure it helps energize the players in a way that they wouldn't be if it was totally barren. And I said, but it, it makes me a little uncomfortable to think, what if somebody went to that game and the reason they got COVID and maybe they got really sick or maybe it was an older person and they passed away was because they went to that game. And now you could always say, well, they could get it at the grocery store. Sure, you can get COVID at other places, but you have to go to the grocery store to survive. You don't have to go to the Chiefs game to survive. So it's it's a really interesting thing. And, and, you know, so one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, can you kind of give an idea of what the, the sort of team by team bubble looks like because these guys aren't in an overall bubble like the NBA in Orlando but the Packers have made a bubble at Lambeau Field so from the time you get out of your car to when you walk in and take a test and all that stuff even to something as simple as you know do they still serve buffet food to the players can you give listeners an idea of what it looks like now yeah that's the that's the to start off with that Michael the thing that I originally thought you know there was some there was some stuff that was thrown out there, you know, when the when the NFL was thinking about playing and you know getting everything on schedule. There were some thoughts of, well, just put them all in a bubble. You can't put three thousand people in a bubble. Right. Like it just it is not going to work. Yeah. There's, you know, the the NBA. Hats off to them. Uh, that's in fantastic what happened and, and the fact that there's going to be an NBA champion out of all this and the guys played by the rules and you know they had Grubhub coming in or however they ended up you know getting getting stuff into them, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is all those teams had what a maximum of 35 people, you know, with, with the way, you know, between the players and the coaches and the trainers and the, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, physical trainers, um, physical therapists, the, it was a small thing. So it made sense for them to be able to do that. The NFL, they were never going to be able to do that. They either need to find a way to make it happen or to just not do it. And what has impressed me. And as you asked that question, when I, when I walk into the building as a tier two person, and you know, there's a handful of us in the media that are, that are doing that. Obviously I'm on the team side, but it's constant and it's, you know, going in, you get your time every day that you're going in, you're going to do this thing. You get swabbed. Uh, it's not as invasive, I think, as it originally did. It was, you know, back in March or whenever it was that the UFC started doing their thing and they're 
basically sticking the swab through the other side of your skull. But, you know, it's, it's still it's still very thorough. I can assure you of that. And there's been a couple times my sinus was like, oh, that's new. That's different. Uh, but it's not as scary. We did the blood test when you came in to set that marker. Fortunately, thankfully, you know, I, di- I didn't have any trace of, of COVID-19. In whatever whatever you believe about blood tests in that range, I didn't have COVID-19 in there. So uh, that was, you know, a little bit of without having any type of testing before I got back in July. Uh, that was great. Um, and you heard Mason Crosby talk about it. Mason, I think, had two negative tests, and then he did test positive. Yeah. Uh, or, or maybe a negative test and then a positive, and he didn't feel it. He was asymptomatic. But it to just to have that barometer when you come in, that was an important step for everyone because now you know what the playing field looks like. And, you know, when I walk into the building as an employee, I get a thing text to me that I have to fill out saying I haven't been around people with COVID, I haven't experienced COVID, temperature checks all over the place, uh, temperature checks when you get into the trailer to get tested, you get your results emailed to you the next day, or at least that's how I have mine set up. Um, and that's from a media standpoint. The way I've, I've kind of said this to people uh, when they've asked this question is that that's a schmuck like me that has no impact on the team. And I'm obviously not, I'm not around the players uh, other than when I'm down at practice or on the sidelines there. So from a player perspective, it's all been first class in that way. And, and the Packers, I thought, did a really good job. And I can only speak for them. You know, everybody's doing their thing differently, but they did a really good job in setting up their markers and, and making sure that, you know, these guys do have box lunches and prepared meals that all get figured out through apps and things like that. It's not the typical buffet-style thing that, that guys were accustomed to in the past. Right. It's a, a lot more planning goes into it, a lot more efficiency. Aaron Jones was speaking to the media on Friday, and he said, too, I mean, you know, everybody wears masks around the building. There's plexiglass everywhere. And I haven't been up to the press box yet, but I know that that was installed up there at Lambeau Field as well for the, the Tier 3 media that will be covering games from there when the Lions come into town. So, Oh, I really? Thought, so it's going to be kind of like Cubbies almost in the uh, in the press box? I, I, I think so. I, again, I wow. haven't seen it, but I, I, I think that those are the type of things that they're doing. And, you know, even in our facilities, making sure that, Things are constantly sanitized. There are so many hand sanitizer stations around. So once you get into this process, and now I'm, you know, seven weeks into this, uh, there's a certain amount of comfort that I feel as an employee, as just a human being, as a guy who had a lot of reservations about going out and doing things. I mean, in April and May, I don't think I ate out at all. I think I ate out once in March, April, and then in May, I started. we started to order out a little bit more. Um, so as someone that had a conservative mindset going into this, uh, that checked all the boxes for me. And, um, you know, in talking to all these players and the fact that they're the ones really in it, right. I'm just up in my office. We really don't have a lot of employees back up there yet. It's mostly my department, uh, for the players that are there with each other every single day. Um, the, the, the contract, the contact tracers, I wear one of those too, all those things. It's, it's really has made it. You know, you could very easily that this thing could end up, you know, infiltrating an NFL locker room. But with all these safeguards that have been put up now, you're going to have a really good idea of if something would happen, who's been in contact with it, who's been affected. And then, you know, I, you know, I don't know how much you've been following the beat still, but, you know, a guy like Lucas Patrick, you know, he's been wearing one of those new fangled masks, too, to, to be is being in the trenches, being cognizant of of what he's breathing in. You know, he's these guys have been experimenting with this stuff to make sure that, you know, they're doing everything they can to stay healthy and, and be smart because, you know, if you if you take down your guard now 
uh, and you start to, you start to get complacent. You know, this is when it really affects people. You have seven weeks invested into this now. You want to be able to keep it going. You know, from a personal standpoint, and I, I'm sure some listeners are going to tell me to shut up and get off my soapbox, but what you just <laughs> mentioned at the very end was, I think, why I, I don't want to say took offense, because that's not right, but why I was a little annoyed that there were fans in Kansas City. You you made it yeah. through the seven weeks successfully, but you haven't played a single game yet across the entire league. Yeah. So why are we introducing you know, thousands of new variables from people that come from different parts of Kansas City, people that maybe flew in, people that have relatives all over, kids in different schools. That, I just didn't, that didn't make sense to me. And and that's why, you know, again, thinking about what the NBA did, not allowing any families during the first round of the playoffs, and then into the second round when a bunch of teams had been eliminated and left and the number of people in the bubble goes down, that's when you introduce yeah. families and things like that. So I always, I thought right. the NFL should have waited on that well, or at least gone through a couple of weeks. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, I actually had some pause when the NBA did that. I'm like, man, you guys have gotten so far here. I mean, you really, you really right. want to throw this up now, but... But, hey, we're talking about human beings, you know, in terms of the NBA and why they did that. I totally understand that. I can't imagine, especially with my son being how old he is, to having to be away from from for a month physically. I mean, that that would be a nightmare. Yeah, you um, might miss and, him. And, he might not miss you, though. Yeah, that's true. Why would he, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as far as the NFL thing, and I, I got to be honest with you, I'm not as educated on Kansas City and what exactly. I know they put out the videos and saying these are all the precautions we're taking. Uh, you know, and even Aaron Jones, it was funny. Again, that was one of the interviews we had on Friday. Uh, he even said, he was like, I started watching the game. I didn't realize there were going to be fans. Uh, I think the Minnesota Vikings made the right choice. I, I really like that the Packers made the decision for their two first two home games, which by the way, that takes them through November 1st. There's only two home games, the first two months of the season. Uh, and then now the Superdome in New Orleans also has made the decision not to have fans. I really like that. Um, I, I don't know what this is going to look like in December as a country, let alone a league, but we just want to play football games right now, right? You know, the broadcast deals, you know, all the different things, all the different challenges that are presented by just getting 48 guys on both teams down on the field and get them playing a game. There's so much that goes into that. Uh, when you throw in the other stuff, it, it just, it gives me some pause. So that's why you play this game, you know, week by week. And maybe you get to November and maybe there's something that you can figure out. Because the thing I keep coming back to, Michael, is that you and I would agree that at Lambeau Field, if I'm a fan, Wes Hodkowitz the fan, not the writer, you can put me inside the Lambeau Field Bowl, 40 rows up in the south end zone, nobody else there, we're good. You can do that with my dad in the north end zone on the other side. You can do that with maybe some people on the east and west side of the stadium. But where is the line of demarcation where it's safe? Uh, the Packers, they did their own kind of figuring it out, what, what is possible, and I think they came up with a number around like 10,000 or something in terms of that checkerboard type idea in an 80,000-seat stadium. And that's all well and good, and you need to have plans, and you've got to survey the landscape. You don't want to have to make these decisions out of nowhere with no research. It's important to know that knowledge. But until we actually start playing these games, that, that's the main that's what I'm looking at right now. I like the fact that the Raiders came out and said no fans this season. Yeah. Um, th- that stadium is gorgeous, right? I mean, you and I even saw it as it was going up. It's right. a fantastic facility. 
do you really want to open it up under these circumstances and then potentially having things happen? I, I don't, well, especially, right? Especially in a place like Las Vegas where life is so right. transient. You know, Green Bay at least mm-hmm. benefits from the fact that A, the population is small, the smallest market in the league, and B, right. it's not a hub where people are going in and out unrelated to sports, whereas everybody's going in and out of Las Vegas, and a lot of times it has nothing to do with sports. So you could, you know, if you're going to allow 10,000 fans at a Raiders game, you have no idea where they're coming from, what country maybe they're even coming from, because people go to Vegas from all over the world. So I agree, you know, if you live in a market like that, that is legitimately a a you know a city or or an, an iconic place that people want to go visit you have to exercise extreme caution and i think in that regard you know if if covid starts to tear through an nfl locker room i think the packers are probably benefited by the fact that they do live in such a small city where the population is so low and the majority of neighborhoods are not packed together like you would see right. on a new york city street very vast yeah and that's that's from one thing, you know, Green Bay, we're, Brown County, we're dealing with it right now. I mean, there's still been probably too many cases lately for my own liking. I think it's the second most right now in the state of Wisconsin, although I think Dane County is going to give them a run for their money here soon with everything at UW-Madison. But, you know, it's it's just being able to have the advantage here in Green Bay of things being spread out and not having people on top of each other. You know, with these games, once the Packers do have this home opener against Detroit, they're not going to have the fans in the parking lots like usual. Now, if they go around and do other things, there's nothing you can do about that. It's America. That's a whole nother discussion. But in terms of what the blueprint is and the footprint is for the Packers, they're doing everything they can in their power to make sure that people are safe and being smart about these things. The The way I, the way I've looked at it uh, throughout this from the very beginning to, to where we stand today is I, I, I like the fact that the NFL said, okay, we're going to leave this up to not only just the teams, but they're, you know, the state governments, you know, and have some, some, some check marks there in terms of figuring these things out. Now I understand that's not all perfect. It's not all balanced. Everyone's going to be different. Certain states are going to believe certain things, but it's tough. And I think one of the issues we got into right away was that not necessarily just with sports, but sometimes with our country is that if you, if you paint with too broad of a brush, you're going to affect places that maybe aren't dealing with it like others. And then, when the time does come to really batten down the hatches, yeah. you've already kind of worn out your welcome. So to at least have that, I, I think is a positive thing, but it does come down to responsibility. It comes down to organizational responsibility. Me personally, uh, I, I, the way I look at this thing is 2020 is not going to be a, a banner year. I don't think I'm going to make you know more money than I've ever thought I was going to. It's just about survival, making sure I stay healthy, making sure my mortgage is paid, making sure our son stays fed and healthy and happy all those things. And I would hope that there's enough of that sentiment throughout the league, whether it's players, whether it's trainers, whether it's, you know, team presidents or owners that we, we just got to be smart and try to get in these seven, 16, 17 weeks. And then as time goes, as we get more information, you know, if there's time to reassess and reevaluate, make changes, do it then. But it's so much easier to do that down the line than to make a a rash decision early and then have to suffer the consequences for it. You know, where I am now in, in Connecticut, I'm in a very rural town, and, and it's it's interesting. I was talking to somebody on the phone today about how, you know, it's I'm in such a, a, a neighborhood where everything is so far apart, house to house. You know, my closest neighbor in terms of, like, 
my the edge of my physical house to the edge of their physical house is well over a hundred yards and you know there's not a lot going on in the center of town anyway and so like my daily life has been very minimally impacted by covid yeah and, and yet today um you know i went up and and i'm working as an assistant coach at the the varsity soccer team where i played in high school and and things were very very different um the kids could only be in groups of like eight nine or ten i think it was uh they had to be the team had to be broken up into groups of eight nine or ten and those groups were not supposed to intermingle or swap players from one to the other um they sure. could only practice for one hour at a time the hallways in their high school are one way only so you don't have kids walking by each other one direction and the other inside the school and they're currently doing a hybrid system where kids are going to school two days a week um, with half on day one, the other half on day two, the first half again on day three, and and then there's one day in the middle for cleaning, et cetera, et cetera. But the reason I bring it up is because Connecticut, you know, is arguably um, the best state in the country right now in terms of keeping positivity rates low, um, cases low, hospitalizations low, et cetera, et cetera. And just this week, Connecticut made the decision to get rid of high school football this fall. It is along, wow. along okay. with, uh, along with girls volleyball, which is a, a fall sport here. Um, so that being the only indoor sport and football being the only direct face to face sport, they have eliminated those two and said those cannot happen. So I'm not saying we're right or wrong. I don't think any Anybody knows, but I do think it's interesting yeah. that the state that has managed it about as well as or better than anybody in the country has said high school football is is not safe. I understand high school football doesn't have the testing resources and the capacity to to do things the way the NFL does, but you know high schools are starting to play sports all over the country, and it's um it's kind of interesting. What what about Green Bay, the city in general? Like if you go out. You know, when you walk down where I used to live on North Washington Street, kind of the prime downtown area of Green Bay, or if you were to to go into a school there, like what what is the scene like for for fans of of the Packers? Because so many of your fans are are not in Green Bay itself. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, it, Green Bay proper has actually been pretty good. Uh, you know, we we did we, there was an edict that got put down in August that was controversial for some, but I, you know, I probably shouldn't get in my own beliefs but i thought it was the right move uh in terms of asking people to wear masks you know and, and mandating that now whether or not you can actually enforce it that's fine but the thing was is it, it flipped the script a little bit it made it so that there's a little bit more if nothing else if you're at a, a grocery store if you're at a restaurant if you're at menards or fleet farm there's more of a an onus on the business to ask people not to wear a mask as opposed to the way I spent April and May, which is I kind of felt like a leper, you know, going into the grocery store and wearing a mask <laughs> back then when a lot of people still weren't doing that. But, but the thing about green Bay and you mentioned it is that within the city itself, I think it's been very good and it's, you know, people are playing by the rules and I, I to be honest with you, Michael, I haven't been out that much, but what I have been immersed to, especially at Lambeau field, people are doing great. A couple of weeks back, I went and golfed with my father and we went up to Oconomowoc, which is you know, an hour north, and we we went golfing up there. Not a mask to be found. <laughs> I mean, it's, really? It's not doesn't even happen, right? I mean, we're golfing, and afterwards there's a there's a fish fry at the golf place. Nobody wearing a mask. I didn't even go in. We just sat outside and waited for the fish to be done. I will say, so, golf, golfing here, uh, when you're on the course, nobody wears a mask. But when you go into the clubhouse to pay or whatever, you have to wear one. Yeah. See, no, nothing. Yeah. And obviously I was out there with my dad, so I, I wasn't when I was on the course, but yeah, when, when you go inside, you would think, but it, 
be that as it may. So that's the that's the struggle right now. I think uh, for a lot of people is, is trying to find that happy medium, and you know, and that's just that's just the way things are. But you know what's funny, Michael? Uh, David Bakhtiari was talking to the media this week in a Zoom call, and he had a line in there, and I actually asked our social department to to cut it uh, a video to 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 bring it out by itself, and. It was such a great point by Bakhtiari, and I don't even know if they ended up tweeting it out yet or if they're going to at some point, but basically he was thanking the people that did wear masks for what they've done and the sacrifices they've made so that they can play the game and in turn give people the product that they want to see. Uh, that That's such a huge thing because there, there's only so much we know about this, and maybe down the line people will say, you know, these precautions we took, they were, they were too much, or, you know, you didn't have to do all this stuff, but when you don't know what you're facing, uh, any type of protection or any type of answers, uh, that, that's just so, that's so important. So uh, this whole season, I mean, when, you, when we talk about how this thing is going to play out, week one, if we can get past this, you get to Wednesday and there's you know, not an uptick in, in positive cases or anything like that, all those little things are, are major victories in yeah. my mind. Yeah. Uh, just like tra- you know, training camp was a major victory. And my hope would be, and again, this is something I wrote in my column over the weekend. My hope would be is that if, if the Packers can be successful in this, in this endeavor, and push forward, and guys stay healthy and accountable to each other and protecting each other, and their families stay accountable and make sure that they don't they don't put their, you know, their their spouse or their their boyfriend or whatever at risk, then maybe that will touch some people that realize, you know what look at what happened there. That can be something that tells people that this is the way, you know, this is the way we could probably go forward. Cause as we were talking about earlier with the bubble thing, yeah, it's not a full on bubble, but once you get into the weekend, once you get to that final test on Saturdays, cause they're not testing on Sundays during games. Once you get to that final test on Saturdays, they're basically in the bubble at that point. Yeah. Cause you are, you are going to practice. You're doing your walkthroughs, you're eating, you may be boarding a plane, but either if you're not, then you're going to a team hotel later from the team hotel, they're going to bust you back to the game. There's none of this, you know, guys, you know, you, you stay overnight, you, you make curfew. And then in the morning, if you want to go run home quick, now, I mean, you're, you're locked in. So if all these, if, if you get through these first few weeks and you meet those check marks, and then by the way, don't get complacent with it. Uh, I, I just, I think there's a lot of hope that I, me personally, I derive from that in what, an approach like that could potentially do beyond football from a from a football standpoint actually talking a little bit about you know the games themselves now i i think that there's obviously going to be areas that are rusty unpolished sloppy things like that because not only were training camps abbreviated i mean you mentioned what 15 days and a lot of them were short i mean go back to the you know ask tom silverstein or pete doherty or you know bob mcginn about the mike sherman days when he had 40 something training camp practices and two a days and things like that it's a little different um you know so and and look i mean the packers drafted a rookie quarterback but they're in a position where they're fortunate enough to not have to play him but you know uh joe burrow justin Herbert to a Tagovailoa. I mean, these guys had no OTAs, and then they come in and have basically what amounts to, I would say, two thirds of a normal training camp, but no preseason yeah. games. So it's probably even less. You know, what what are you expecting to to be ready for early weeks in football, and what are you expecting to maybe take some time before you can get a good read on what teams are or not? Well, and it's funny too because whoever gets out, I've been saying this for a while. Whoever gets out 
out of the gates, you're fast. That's such an advantage for the rest of the season yeah. to be able to, Bank to, wins to actually, early. yeah, if you, if you, if you stack up three or four wins right out of the gate, I mean, my goodness, does that kind of set up the season for you? But I think there's going to be a lot of, I think it's going to be on both sides and I forget who exactly, I wish I could attribute to which player said this, but they kind of thought it was in one of the Packers zoom calls this week that there probably will. Oh, it was Alan Lazard actually. Uh, they thought there probably will be some big plays early on. He, he, he thought, you know, there's going to be some breakdowns. You probably see more coverage breakdowns. You might see a few more runs getting busted. So the scores might actually be higher. It might actually be successful and exciting in that way. And I believe him. I do think that's probably going to be what happens. But then you look and see what happened in that Thursday night football game, and Kansas City completely shut down Houston. There, yeah. there was After that first quarter, nothing was happening right for the Texans. So I think the teams that were disciplined – and the ones that, that had a plan for how they wanted to attack the virtual offseason uh, are probably going to be ahead. The, the case that I'm really interested to follow is the New Orleans Saints. Because, like, for the Green Bay Packers, for example, Matt LaFleur, Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator, and Mike Pettin, they, they went right for it. They said, we're going to go all in on virtual offseason program. Hackett had brought in, like, teachers to help the coaches, uh, you know, get up their point across in these Zoom meetings. They pre-recorded meetings. And they did all their installs, and when the guys came back, it really was, other than the physical aspect of it, they were basically on the hook for knowing what the playbook was and what was being asked of them. Then you look and see what the New Orleans Saints did, and that means Sean Payton basically said, stay healthy, nah, come we're, back we're to the best shape of your life. <laughs> yeah, and so, I mean, if, if the Saints come out and they're rolling, great. I mean, that's, that's, that's really telling. I mean, to, to know and trust those guys and, and to be able to communicate that message in six weeks or whatever they had to be able to do that with the acclimation period. But if a team like green Bay or some of these teams that really went, you know, all in on their virtual off season program, come out looking sharp. I think that's going to really, you know, be something that I think a lot of people are going to have to look at, even if things would get back to relative normal see next year. Uh, but green Bay for that matter, Michael, I'll tell you this, you know, the Packers had their first practice on August 15th. I was fully prepared for anything i was thinking that it may end up being one of the worst practices i'd ever seen ugly football Uh, yeah just because these guys there was an acclimation period but there wasn't i mean the rookies they have what 25 rookies in camp and for a bunch of first year players they have some new additions i mean none of these guys and then it looked really smooth everything was good guys weren't on the ground there weren't a ton of fumbles there weren't a lot of delay of games or or penalties and it was pretty efficient, and that pretty much followed the same blueprint throughout camp. So more so than any other year in which I've covered the NFL, I am completely fascinated to see how Green Bay plays out of the gate, how things look. Do they? Does that translate to the football field? Because I think if you talk to any of the other beat writers, they would tell you the same thing. I mean, there were guys that emerged in this camp that you wanted to see emerge, and if those guys play well, if Matt LaFleur's offense looks good in year two here, the first couple weeks of the season, the fact that they were able to, to spend a couple months, even if it was boring, even if it was tedious, even if you're just staring at a computer screen, uh, but you're getting that kind of instruction, uh, I think there's a lot of lessons that are going to be learned here down the line, even if the next year, by some act of God, uh, the, the off-season program is back to its normal self. You know, he's not expected to play much probably at all this season but I have to ask you some kind of a question surrounding Jordan Love and so the one I'm going to ask is in a normal year if he had had OTAs if he had had a full training camp if he had had 
for exhibition games. I think there's a chance, maybe not a good chance, maybe like I would put it at a 40% chance that Love could have played well enough for the Packers to part ways with Tim Boyle and have Love go into the season as the number two. Um, Now, obviously, with teams putting a heightened emphasis on the health of the quarterback in these COVID-19 times, most teams are going to keep three anyway. And, you know, from following you guys on Twitter, it seems like my guy Tim Boyle played pretty well. So that he assured himself a job regardless. Exactly. The laser show. But my question is, given the fact that he didn't have OTAs, he didn't have a full training camp, he didn't have four exhibition games, and now that he's third on the depth chart, he's going to have basically a couple reps in practice each week outside of scout team. Yeah. How far behind is Jordan Love going to be by the time, hopefully, a real offseason can happen next year? Yeah, it's not ideal, right? And I think the Packers were they were comfortable with that when they made the decision that this is, you know, you're going to have to kind of grade on a curve and, and have different expectations for Jordan Love than maybe most first-round picks that you take, uh, especially at that position. But the one thing that did stand out to me, uh, I there were strides I saw with Love. Uh, I think that first week, and as I kind of expected, it was going to be tough for him, uh, especially with the way that they structured things. I mean, there's no bones about it. I mean, Tim Boyle took the lion's share of those number two reps. They, he, they weren't trying to you know, make it look like, oh, this is, you know, really a big tight competition. I mean, Boyle played well, performed well, and just kind of filled that role the entire camp. And then they carved out like opportunities for him here and there during practice. And they also did these, these extra young guy periods, which for the most part were tackle football periods, Uh, obviously not with love involved, but I mean, it was just Jordan love series. He just went out there and he'd get 10, 11, 12 plays and he'd go down the field. And it was interesting in that the first day, the first time they did that, it was rough. The second time, it was better. Some of the guys on the beat, and and I'd be I'd be happy happy to have a, a discussion with any of them about this, Rob, whoever. Uh, they were they were kind of talking about how he wasn't challenging down deep. I don't really think that's what they were asking him to do. If you followed those periods appropriately, I mean, I, they weren't asking him to make big throws downfield or to show his arm. They were just kind of getting him to operate the offense underneath. But then the very last practice that they had in competitive sense, they went in one more time for kind of a walkthrough, but in their last big padded practice inside Lambeau field, love looked great. Uh, he, he made a big deep downfield pass to Malik Taylor who ended up making the roster. Uh, and it was the last pass of that practice. It would have been like a 65 yard touchdown. He threw it probably 25 yards in the air. It was perfectly placed. He, he challenged the middle of the field. You can see the tools with him in why the Packers liked him. You can also see, you know, he's he's gonna. This is, you know, at this point in time, it's not Aaron Rodgers. He's going to throw 50-50 balls up there, and it's gonna sometimes make you like, oh boy, you know, is that what's gonna happen there? There's a little bit of a gunslinger mentality with him, but there's a fearlessness too. The fact, getting back to Boyle for a second, what, and maybe that's an age thing because I think Love still is only 21, and Tim was probably what 23 or 24 when he signed with the Packers back in 18. I would think so, yeah. He, for the guy that was like the dude that had one touchdown and 13 interceptions at UConn and then had, what was it, like like 9 and 13 at Eastern yeah, Kentucky. It wasn't, it wasn't good. I can't believe like just how good he looked right away. Uh, not just the arm strength. We make, we make jokes about the Boyle, the laser show, and he has a great arm. But Tim, since day one, has always made pretty good decisions with the ball. I mean, 
he had that one finale his rookie year against Kansas City where it was a little, you know, a little bit more questionable and the accuracy had some, you know, issues there. But this camp, Michael, I wish you would have been here for it because, I mean, he Tim was exceptional. And it's not just the arm strength and the laser show and going deep to Valdez Scantling in the first practice. It's the fact that this guy's throwing stuff underneath. There was one practice inside Lambo where if they didn't, if there wasn't guys dropping balls, Tim would have completed like 90% of his passes that day. He just yeah. was on point. So to close on this point, I was partially right and partially wrong about the quarterback thing because people asked me back in May – uh, and especially right after the draft, you know, is, is this going to be difficult for Boyle to make the team? And I said from the beginning, I'm like, if you guys are paying attention to what's going on outside your living room right now, right? there is no way I would have entered into the season with, with three quarterbacks not on the active roster. Now, some teams did that, but what happened is you have Matt Moore, what, 38-year-old Matt Moore is on the practice squad of Kansas City. You have Philadelphia has josh mccown in his house down in texas yeah. uh all these different things ended up happening where teams aren't necessarily handcuffed into keeping three quarterbacks but for the benefit of the room and being able to make sure that you know if something happens giving yourself as many you know right. balls in the lottery as possible i just think you had to take three quarterbacks and i'm sure the packers it's going to be tough to get love reps i think they'll still find ways to do it in practice this season maybe post-practice or maybe other opportunities that they can work with them yeah but yeah it's, it's going to be tough for him to be on schedule next year but at the same time you know with with this going on right now you it could be a much different situation you could be going into the season having to kind of roll the dice on on him being the starter and then obviously having the repercussions for that if if things don't go well honest question you mentioned more in mccown so if you had to put like a number percentage wise what are the chances that Brian Gutekunst signs Brett Favre to the practice squad. <laughs> you know what was funny? I uh, I think I back in my day, this is before you got to Green Bay too, because um, I remember because I was at I was at when Keith and I had that apartment in Green Bay. I remember tweeting this. It was when um, I think it was when Sam Bradford got hurt, uh, one of those times, uh, and it was right at the start of the season. They didn't have a uh, a quarterback figured out yet. And I said Madden should have a mode built into the game, the Madden video game should have a mode, which is if your quarterback goes down with a season-ending injury, you get like a, a pop-up mini game where you got to negotiate to see if Brett Favre <laughs> will come back and be your quarterback. That's pretty um, good. And you know what, Michael? I'm still not fully convinced Favre is retired either. So I know, right? You never say never. But, uh, yeah, no. If they want to just drive Packer fans up a wall, that could be something he looks at. That, uh, <laughs> that Your mention of the video game reminded me of one of my favorite tweets that I ever had when I was in Green Bay. And I was – I don't know what I was doing, but I was at the stadium one night, and it was late, and I, maybe I was just writing late, and I left after everybody else. And I walked out the little side door – where the media goes out and it's next to kind of the will call ticket office and and there's like three or four people over there and they're like wandering around and they're like trying to get in the door and and i'm like what's going on and they're like all playing pokemon go and oh uh, yeah and and this guy this guy he must have been 
I don't know, he had to be in his 30s or 40s. And he's like, uh, you know, what's going on in there? And I was like, I, I was working in there. I'm a writer. And he's like, oh, you weren't playing the game? And I was like, no. And he's like, I heard they have the really good Pokemon in there. So I was, so I go, I go to Twitter and I make a joke about like how incredible it would be if you found out that like Ted Thompson was hoarding all the undrafted Pokemon and he just had them inside Lambeau Field and all these great undrafted Pokemon that everyone was looking for Uh, but that that happened like a lot there was a lot when pokemon go came out and was like super popular people were wandering around outside lambo field like all the time thinking they could find things it was interesting dude it it was it was hilarious and it's and it's funny i won't put players on there but i know there were some some players that were even playing at that time too and and unfortunately i don't think they realized at first that if they made their their name like actually like close to their name people can actually see what your username was around the building and <laughs> and my favorite thing was we had an intern his name was justin great dude i still keep up with him now he's back in oregon but he uh he created his account and he named his his player his little avatar he named him ted thompson <laughs> just to see if he could mess around with all those people that were around there because like you have these gyms and you like place pokemon at the gyms and you can see who like their quote-unquote owner is and and he got a he had a good time with that and getting people to think that. But yeah, yeah, the summer of Pokemon, man, that was a wild, wild time. I I will I'll never forget that. It was like we had a concert. I think it came out in June of sixteen. It was like in was that the time Bill, was, was that the Billy dead. Joel summer? Yeah, I don't know if it, no, it was the LSU year because I think oh, they played LSU. Right. And so if there, it was the LSU year, then that means there uh, there wasn't a concert. But I mean, dude, I honest to goodness, I mean, every day it was like there was some kind of weird celebration going on outside because there's always people flocking around. I don't think it's like that anymore, though. No, I don't think so either. But yeah, the, the, <laughs> summer, the summer of Pokemon Go, and uh, yeah, it was you know, yeah, it was strange. To, to kind of bra- to kind of branch off that, I, people won't understand this, but you know, all those years uh, I had an office down there. Now it's Rob Demosky's office because they made uh, the Press Gazette move in with the Journal Sentinel after their merger. But uh, man, there there are so many probably almost years of my life that you can probably tabulate up all the time that I spent in that office down there. That's, that's one thing that I actually miss a little that bit. That windowless office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't, it's not like it's this great. It was basically like if you were in prison, it was like the small, yeah. you know, 12 by five, 12 by six room. But uh, there, there's just some endearing quality about it. There's a, I, I, I'll page through or I'll thumb through, um, my my phone every once in a while, and I'll see. You know, I I always decked my office out with all these posters. When they took them down, I remember some of them wouldn't come off and like rip paint and <laughs> stuff off the wall. But like I had my I had my coffee maker in there. I remember would bring I'd go grab food and come back there and work. And with the deadlines being what they were, I don't even know if those guys deal with typical deadlines now. But always trying to get stuff done. And you guys had a little bit bigger office, but there was a I, I kind of miss those days a little bit because even though I have a nice little cool desk in the cubicle section up on on two there was uh yeah. having your own little office and having a key inside lambo field i always thought that was kind of a cool deal no it was cool and um you know my first year on the beat in 15 was before the merger between the press gazette and the journal sentinel so it was me tom silverstein and bob mcginn and tom and i always worked in the office 100 percent of the time or you know at least 90% of the time. And Bob always worked at home because he lived like five minutes from the stadium. So he liked to go home. And that meant that, that meant Tom and I would be in the room. And, and, you know, you mentioned that it was kind of endearing in some ways to have that little space. And some of my favorite 
like kind of moments, if you will, were when it would be really cold in November, December, January, if they made the playoffs and we'd be freezing after, you know, practice or whatever, availability, whatever, we'd come back and, uh, and I don't drink coffee. I don't drink caffeine, but I really like the smell of coffee and Tom Silverstein drinks a lot of coffee. And so like when our office was warm in the winter it got really really warm because the thermostat was broken so it would get up to like oh, sure. 85 90 degrees and then tom would uh you know make his coffee so i just remember all these frigid winter days where i would go in this room and it would be super warm and there'd be the great smell of fresh coffee and so like i i can relate to uh to that in how, terms of enjoying that, lambeau field how did that not get you into coffee uh, I don't know. I mean, my mom doesn't drink coffee and I grew up in a house just with my mom. So it was never oh, okay. in the house growing up. And then See, my dad did. So I think that probably is why I do. Yeah. And then when I went to college and I needed a boost, I would drink uh, Dr. Pepper for caffeine. But then oh, okay. when I got out of college, I kind of gave up caffeine just because I drank so much of it in school that I was like, so, enough is enough. So obviously I can't give up coffee. That's my, that's my vice. Um, but because of the pandemic, I started drinking soda again. Now I got to try to wean myself back off of it. Yeah. Because I wanted, to, like, I'm not a big, I'm not a drinker. So like, I and I don't, like, I don't have any real vices or anything. So it was like, okay, so I'm locked in my house. I can't really go out. At least back in April and May, I can't go out and like, you know, I didn't want to get ice cream back then. You know, I didn't know yeah. what was going on there. I didn't want to go. So it's like, yeah, you know what? That was like my treat. I got cough or I got a, uh, I got soda again in the house. Now I got to find a way to get rid of it. I don't want to. I don't want to rain on your parade, but I think you're lying to listeners when you say you have no vices. I've seen you around in Dungeness <laughs> crab enchiladas, and it's a it's a serious vice. When Wes and I were in Las Vegas in March, right before COVID, we found this restaurant that we really liked called Javier's inside the Aria Casino, and they had in Dungeness crab enchiladas. And let me tell you, the things Wes did to people in that restaurant just so he could make sure he had his indigenous crab enchiladas. It was, it was horrifying. Dude, some of the things he did. The, the, the money that I would pay to be able to get that here in green Bay, Wisconsin. So it goes without saying. Yeah, that was a, that was a lot of fun. We were in, we were in Las Vegas in March and it was, I think we got back March 11th cause we took a red eye, I think on March 10th and yeah. we landed on the 11th and then like everything shut down. Tuesday. Yeah. And then everything shut down like the 13th or 14th around the country. And so Thursday and Friday. Yeah. Wes and I were terrified like, oh, my gosh, did we get COVID? Because we had been in all the different casinos in Las Vegas. And the casino that we stayed in was the MGM. And they had uh, uh, they had um, cases in that in that hotel, yeah. people who tested positive. So it was it was just crazy to think that we were around literally thousands of people in Las Vegas for, you know, four days. And, you know, you ended up getting tested for antibodies and definitely did not have COVID. I never had any symptoms. Um, so if I did have it, I would have been asymptomatic, but I, I don't think that I had it because I was around other people and nobody else got sick. But that was just, yeah. uh, that was crazy to think that that was six months ago. It seems like such a different world. You know, and I came back to, um, this was before we had like the whole, like, you know, you could show signs between two and 14 days. Um, or at least before that was well pronounced. So I came back, I flew back in, I got in on Tuesday, the rest of that week, I didn't go, I didn't go to my, my, uh, my house, uh, just with Killy and we weren't sure with kids, you know, with those sort of things. So like I stayed at my, but unfortunately I like, I basically did the opposite. I ended up going and staying with my parents who are both in their late fifties and sixties now. Um, but I went and stayed there the rest of the week cause I was nervous. I didn't want to, I remember, I think I was, I think I stayed at my parents' house for four or five days. 
we got to figure out where we can go next whenever uh <laughs> whenever <laughs> covid allows us to actually do this yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We yeah, can, uh, unless you want to come to Mohegan Sun and watch Bellator from afar on a closed circuit television, <laughs> which they actually, they, they are, they're selling tickets to not the actual events inside Mohegan Sun, but the, um, like they're not, I don't know, sports bars, I guess maybe, but they're like little, you could buy tickets to like have entrance to this sports bar and then they'll show the Bellator fights on, on a big screen and like, you know, What's I mean. What's the point of that? I don't know how, well, I mean, I guess it's to get people in the casino and if you're in the casino, but the I mean, like, is no, you'll no, spend hey, money. No. Kudos to Mohegan Sun, do whatever you got to do. Everybody's trying to make a buck, but like, if you're, if you're a person, like why? Stay at home. <laughs> yeah. Just watch yeah. it on your television. I mean, maybe there's some people who don't have the paramount network although i did see that just today bellator signed a new agreement with cbs sports network so we're gonna have we're gonna have bellator on cbs sports network now but um oh, yeah it's wild go. they've got uh mohegan sun the casino here in connecticut has been putting on fights for bellator the last uh three or four straight weeks it's it's crazy to think like they're so close and yet i can't go watch them even if i wanted to yeah, and that's unfortunate. That's the tough thing with this. And I know there's a lot of people, uh, you know, NFL-wise, we do that inbox, that inbox deal. So people always I, – I did it for tomorrow. I answered 20-some questions every day between Mike Spofford and myself. And the number of people have said how this, you know, with not having training camp open, how that interrupted their summer. Like what would typically – not that they had – not that it ruined their summer, but like they always had a plan that I go and that's our big pilgrimage to Lambeau Field and you end up going to a preseason game if you're not – you know, you're like how I was when I grew up. I didn't have access to regular season games. My parents weren't going to pay hundreds of dollars to be able to go to games. So like preseason training camp, that stuff was attractive back then. And just to, to hear that. And as you said, I mean, the fact that that was six months ago and just how much the world has changed. It's almost like if you drop me back in there now, uh, God, I mean, like, I, I, I think I'd be like, it's almost like a new world, right? I mean, it's like, it's almost like everything's been flipped on its head. Like it, we hope we get back to normal, whatever normal is soon, but I just feel so far detached from it now. Yeah. It's very strange. It's very strange. And uh, I'll get you out of here on one last question. I don't know if you're contractually obligated to say that the Packers will reach the Super Bowl. If I ask you for the two teams that are going to reach the Super Bowl. So if you only want to name an AFC team, you can, but uh, who would you pick to at least reach the Super Bowl if you don't want to necessarily pick a winner? Well, obviously, I'll have to say the Packers. Okay. Um, How about the AFC, but, though? Uh, let, AFC, I'll say this. Um, my goodness, the Kansas City looks fantastic. Yeah, no one's uh, beating now that them, was right? One game, that was one game against a, a Houston team that has a boatload of questions. Um, but with that running back now... Um, CED or whatever, however, I don't even want to try to pronounce Clyde, the name. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. There you go. Good job, Michael. Uh, C-E-H. There you go. Uh, dude, it looks like it's the missing piece of that offense. I mean, it, it, like literally, that was like their one weak spot. Yeah. And they can't – you can't tackle that guy. Uh, and defensively, I, to be honest with you, man, I, everyone wants to watch the quarterback. Everyone loves offense. Kansas City has the most entertaining defense I think I've ever watched. You think uh, so? Why? Chris Jones, yeah. every single play is just a revelation. I mean, he is just – you feel for the interior linemen that have to go up against that guy, especially when they're put in a one-on-one situation. 
the way he pushes the pocket and, you know, having Frank Clark coming off the edge now, I mean, they just – Deshaun Watson's one of my favorite quarterbacks in this league, and they made that night just miserable for him. With what – you know, there's some questions there with cornerback. Certainly they're working through some things, but the, the honey badger out there. I just – it was fun to watch their defense. I, I – I, so from that perspective, I – I thought if there was a way you got that team, it was going to have to be last year. I thought maybe Baltimore can do it. Maybe Baltimore still can, but it's tough to create dynasties in the NFL, Michael, and it's it's tough to be able to afford them and, and keep those groups together. But uh, Kansas City has a real opportunity this season. That that, uh, that team, with what they can do offensively and defensively, there's a, there's a blueprint there. Uh, that that uh, is pretty ideal for what a, a general manager would want to put together. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the Chiefs get back to the Super Bowl. Um, I think you know the Ravens are still really really good, and I'd like to see what Lamar can do um, now that he's had a couple years in the playoffs and knows you know sort of how teams are going to try and defend him. Um, I I don't know if Roethlisberger can stay healthy, but if he does, I think the Steelers can be sneaky good this year because that defense yeah. is loaded as well. That's kind of who I like in the AFC and. In the NFC, um, I'm not contractually obligated to pick the Packers, so I will not. Um, I think the Saints are still going to be good, um, and I know that they didn't have an off-season program, so I think they're a team to keep an eye on. Um, Obviously, like a lot of Packer fans, I'm extremely eager to see what the Dallas Cowboys look like with Mike McCarthy in charge. I think that's going to be fascinating. Um, I've liked the Seahawks for a little while. I don't think they can get all the way to the Super Bowl, but... We'll see. And then my sneaky NFC North prediction. I don't know if this team is going to win the North, but I think the Lions are going to be a little better than people think they are. What am I missing on the Lions? Because, like, every, that's happening a lot right now. Now, I know Stafford was really good before his injury, but, like, like that's, that's like, you're right. That's a, that's a dark horse prediction, but it seems like a lot of people are making that prediction. I don't know. I mean, I think they finally have a couple good options in the running game. They've got three different running backs they can choose from now. Galladay, yeah. I think, is a legit number one. I don't know if Hawkinson can get any better at tight end. He was disappointing last year. I do think it's really going to be tricky to see what they do at corner because Darius Slay is a hell of a football player. And to yeah. lose him the way they did in a trade, you know, you never want to give up a, a true lockdown corner because of the 32 teams in the league, there are not 32 true lockdown corners. So there's less than one per yeah. team. Slay was one of them. Devontae Adams will tell you how good Slay was. Um, so that's a loss. I don't know. I just think think uh i just think they're going to be decent and i don't think ford field's an easy place to play it is not and ford field is not an easy place to play you're absolutely right about that and actually you got to get give credit where credit's due the lions do a fantastic job it's not u.s bank i mean trying to go into u.s bank is just a a challenge in and of itself regardless of you know the the noise during the game the pre-production it's like a you're at medieval times on steroids but the one thing the one thing is that that's always funny about Detroit. I don't know why it's like this, but every time I go there, uh, it always seems like that, like the fans, when they're really loud, they're super loud. And then when they're not, it's like, I'm in like a cave. It's it's the weirdest thing. I've always, I've always kind of felt that way. Like it, it it's uh, maybe like because there's US Bank, maybe because it's an open air press box. I, it, I, but like Minnesota is too though. Right. I mean, like, I don't know what it is about that. Yeah, like it's that's like true. Minnesota. Minnesota seems like that in the Superdome. I always have a headache. The I've next never day. been to I the just, Superdome. I was dying to get there, oh, but I did not in my four years. And I'm devastated. I'm not going to be able to go this year. That was. That I was. I had that one circled. New Orleans is my favorite road trip. I've never been to and New then Orleans. When the, that's like the one major oh, U.S. city. That in Houston, I've never been to. Other than that, I've hit all the major U.S. cities. 
so energy, I'm going to miss that this year. That was the only stadium I haven't been to yet. I haven't covered a game at Lucas Oil, but I've been to Lucas Oil. Right. Um, but well, New Orleans, the man, two new the two new there. ones, right? Well, of course, but yeah, in terms of the with the ones that you're going to catch on the AFC cycle, in 2012 was the only year I didn't travel the road games. Right. So okay. I missed Houston, Indianapolis, and then fortunately, just because of the the way that the rotation went, I was able to catch the other two in 16. Um, but, but New Orleans, man, is the the thing that was great about that trip in 14. Uh, one. I think half of our beat writing crew at the press Gazette stayed out till six in the morning. Um, I remember Rob Domofsky, who was already at ESPN.com, him and I went back at like at two and we were, we were good citizens. It was just, we were just enjoying, you know, the, the area and the hotel was like two blocks away from, you know, bourbon street and everything. But the, the thing that was great about that trip was that we were staying at the JW Marriott. So I wake up the next day, and the team, the, the football players were there too. Like the, the the team was there. It was the team hotel. Wake up the next morning, there was no hot water in the hotel at all. Jeez. I never got a chance to really ask any players how this affected them, but there was none. Like it, like they had a break, so like I had to take a cold shower, like like well water cold shower before the game to be able to like actually be like you know dress up and go and cover it. And it was the most, it, it, as much fun as I had in 14 being down there, it was the most miserable road trip I'd ever been on. Uh, <laughs> just because the the fact that they couldn't get us any hot water. There was some kind of line break or they were doing some kind of, you know, maintenance. But I think I ended up getting like 25,000 free Marriott points or something out of it. It was fantastic. There you go. That's not bad. Who? Uh, but that's, who, you, you who, talk about trips, we got to do that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Who, um, who got more Mardi Gras beads? You or Rob? <laughs> definitely <laughs> rob actually actually like rob actually did get some marty groggy by the time we went there but um the, the guy to talk to about that would be pete doherty pete doherty had himself a he had a he had a great time when he went down to new orleans and that sucks because with that rotation as you said i mean this is the first time the packers because either you need to line up with them and it has to be the right year and you have to line up with them in the division and it has to be a road game but uh Otherwise, you're only guaranteed that one every six years, and it's tough that between that and Foxborough are two of my favorite trips, and you just so you get them so infrequently. But of course, I you know I'm always in Chicago and some of these other places, which is you know opportunities I never thought you know to be able to cover games routinely and you know New York the last few years and in these different cities. But there's something about New Orleans that I always was really enjoyed. I'm going to miss Tampa too this year. That stinks as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There were some good road trips on the schedule this year, but you know, as long as you stay healthy and safe and uh, the season continues, yeah. I think it'll be good. But uh, I don't know. I, I might be all wet here, Wes, but I think we've reached the end of the podcast. Uh, so, you know, to, to <laughs> you give a little about, shout out to Pete Doherty there. <laughs> no, I think we've, uh, I think we've exhausted just about everything. So uh, I appreciate the time. It. Thanks for coming on, man. And, uh, Looking forward to reading your stuff throughout the season. So check Wes's workout at Packers.com. Thanks, man. I appreciate you, brother. So there you have it. A conversation with Packers digital reporter Wes Hodkowitz taking you behind the scenes 
of Lambeau Field and in training camp. Obviously, training camp was held without fans this year, so the thousands of people that normally flock to Green Bay to watch those outdoor practices were unable to catch a glimpse of of their beloved Packers this year. And so it's kind of cool to have some insight from somebody like Wes, who was there at all the practices and is also inside the building and can speak to some of the, you know, both physical and, um, you know, frankly, behavioral changes that need to happen in order to keep people safe this season. And, you know, that's what we're all hoping for. We're all hoping that the NFL can continue all year long without any sort of serious repercussions or COVID outbreaks and things like that. I'm crossing my fingers. I'm crossing my toes, crossing my arms and legs as well, because obviously when when things are running smoothly, the NFL is a terrific product and brings entertainment and joy to so many of us on, on every weekend. And it would be awesome if we could get through this season unscathed. And hopefully that helps out the journalism business as well, keeping people employed after there were so many layoffs in my particular field over the last year or so, uh, excuse me, the last six months due to COVID. And so, you know, it would be awesome if, if things ran smoothly. And so once again, thank you all for listening. I hope you all enjoyed hearing Wes's insight and uh, gaining a little bit of a glimpse into our friendship too and sort of the the bantering nature that we have between the two of us. As always, I encourage you to check out some of the other episodes of this podcast we have. They're all available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere else you listen to shows. Once again, if you happen to be listening on an Apple device, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars if you like the show, and maybe a comment with some thoughts or feedback on this episode or anything else we've done on the show thus far. Until the next episode of this podcast, I hope you have a terrific rest of your day, a terrific rest of your week, and I will talk to you again soon. Mm